Welcome to The Data Economy, a podcast about leaders like you who use data to drive business growth and accelerate digital innovation. I'm your host, Michael Krigsman. In this podcast, technology leaders offer practical advice and a firsthand look into modern data strategies and their digital initiatives. You can watch all the episodes on redis.com slash the data economy. How does data drive, make possible, enable digital transformation? We're talking with Sean Bice, the president of products and technology at Splunk, to dive into this very important topic. Sean, it's great to talk with you. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Sean, tell us about Splunk. Well, uh, Splunk is helping customers all around the world turn their data into doing. Uh, We've been in the industry now for almost 20 years. Uh, So when you hear of companies that uh, have a big data problem, um, they really need to get insights out of that data. I I get a chance to work with the builders that are connecting with those customers uh, each and every day so they, they can take their data and actually turn it into a solid asset. Sean, you're president of products and technology at Splunk. What does that role encompass? You know, when you think of the people in my organization, uh, this includes uh, product managers. These are the folks that sit down with customers and really take the time to understand their requirements. The whole engineering organization is here. So, you know, from software design to build to all the operations in the cloud. So all basically all of Splunk's products get built um, and operated by our team. And it sounds like you and your team spend a lot of time with customers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we spend, you know, everything we do works backwards from our customers. So we are with them uh, every single day. Sean, let's talk about data and digital transformation. Data is not new, but has become this very alluring and popular topic. What's going on to have brought data to the forefront as as we now see? Data, there has been an explosion in data systems. You know, what, what I would say is data has gone from a record of what has happened you know, into the most vital information that you need to make decisions. So, you know, if you kind of just think about in the past, a lot when people thought of data, it most often was just, hey, that's a record of something that happened. Uh, today, a lot of people have so much data from so many different systems. These businesses are trying to operate in almost near real time. So, you know, really what has happened is now it, data really truly is the most vital information a foreign organization in terms of its uh, decisions it makes. You described a shift that's taken place from data being a kind of record-keeping system to data being strategic. Can you elaborate on that and also weave in the technology aspects of this change? Yeah, well, you know, the technology aspects of this change is, is huge. Uh, when you think of the data industry, I, if you go back to the early 70s, you know, from pretty much 1970, almost all the way up to the year 2000, 
if we were to ask somebody what their data strategy was or what they were doing with data, you know, most of those people would, would have built an application on a relational database system. So pretty much every scenario that you could think of was built against a relational database. And then, you know, as we got closer to the 2000 era, all of a sudden, all new types of databases have come about, like a key value system or a time series database or a, a document database. And today there's over 380 different systems tracked by DB engines if you use that as a proxy. So, you know, really what's happened is we used to have this one size fits all database for almost three decades. And today it's really these purpose built systems that are very specialized for a given access pattern. That's the world we're in now. Has the change in technology been the driver of this new kind of use of data, or is it the business needs that are creating this, or do the, those two work together? They do work together, but I would tell you there's maybe a bigger emphasis now on the types of things people are trying to do with data. So for example, you know, if you and I were building an application 20 years ago, there was no such thing as Lyft or Uber or Netflix. So if you and I were thinking about scale, we were probably thinking about our network, like how many users were in our enterprise connected to our network and you know what what environments were they in that that was the scale footprint you know but today uh, you look at the type of applications they're building like think of snapchat you know who knows when the chicago cubs might win the world series and millions of people pick up a device and want to take a selfie but when that happens your infrastructure better be ready to go so the type of applications that exist today they are far more scalable. Many of them now have global scale. The speed requirements is off the charts. You know, you meet people today, they're talking about millisecond latencies, where in the past it might have been seconds. Uh, you hear of people having from one to hundreds of millions of users anywhere around the world. That kind of footprint, that kind of scale is really what's behind a lot of applications that are built today that look nothing like they did uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and the technology that has evolved uh, to support this. I'm also old enough to remember that when building an application, especially in a startup, meant buying expensive servers and the people to run those servers, whereas today you spin up a cloud instance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I remember those days too. I'm glad you brought this up because the world today is known as fully managed APIs. And a lot of people will ask, well, what, what does that actually mean? And when you think about 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, setting up a data environment was hard. You'd have to get hardware, you would uh, stack these machines, provision them. And then if you had multiple of them, I mean, it was, it was a lot of undifferentiated heavy lifting that we, or if you remember sitting in design meetings for nine months, planning out what you're going to buy and the world we live in today looks nothing like that. You know, if you and I have an idea, with the advent of the cloud and all of its wonderful characteristics, one of the best things that's happened in the cloud is a lot of these service providers offer uh, these database platforms that literally are fully managed. So to you and I, it's just an endpoint. We can connect to it, start coding against it. 
we can scale inevitably. If our if we had a bad idea needed to punt, no big deal. We didn't buy anything. So, you know, so it is a dramatic change. This is why, like 20 years ago, if there were 380 different types of databases, forget it. But this is why that exists today, because they really truly are exposed just through a simple API with nothing to manage. And the impact on business innovation is tremendous because it's so much easier and faster to spin up an instance and have the tools you need, the databases like you're describing. Oh, absolutely. Like think of the pandemic and I have heard so many customer stories where the general story sounded like, you know, hey, this changed, Uh, we need to serve our clients in a very, very different way. And it needs to happen in the next month. And that same project before the pandemic might have taken a year or two, you know, and you I hear story after story of these companies that have literally have had to change on a dime, reinvent themselves, create whole new experiences. And they've done it in the matter of months, which is pretty darn remarkable. But I would then again, point out the reason they've been able to do it is by and large because they've had a really good data foundation and they've taken full advantage of the cloud. Well, you have not used the term digital transformation, but really that's what you're talking about. And so what is the role of data in digital transformation? To tell you the truth, I don't know that everybody even knows what digital transformation means. You know, sometimes I think people hear these words and and they don't necessarily think about it to the point where they go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what it means. They're trying to uh, put it together. I often answer this by just using an example that we all know. Like Disney is a wonderful company, 97-year-old enterprise. Uh, Disney Plus is a great example of an old enterprise reinventing itself, creating a whole new customer experience in less than a year. And I always use this as an example because before Disney Plus, if you had said to me, you know, hey, imagine just staying at home on a Friday night in a major motion picture. You don't even have to go to the theater. It'll just be streamed over your television. Most people might have laughed at that. But, you know, you look at these services and how these companies have, that is a great example of a digital transformation. And how does data play in that? Well, the, all the quality of service, how fast those bits come down to you. If you have latency, are you get, are you able to skip through chapters the right way? Are you pausing? If you pause, do you restore? Is audio coming through? So imagine, you know, all the telemetry that comes off that system. And basically, they just want to make sure the quality is good. Or, you know, another fun digital transformation example is, is in Formula One. You know, these cars have been around racing for a long time, but today these cars have three, 400 sensors on them. They are collecting data, everything that's happened, the engine, the wheels, the steering, brakes, acceleration. They have so much data on the car. But as you know, in Formula One, blink of an eye can be the difference between winning and losing. And in this case, they are heavily relying on data. They have like 900 engineers back in Uh, McLaren does back in in England that are processing this data during the race and making adjustments in real time. That would be another really good example of a digital transformation and how data uh, is, is playing a huge role in Formula One today. How much of this business shift to rely on data for transformation is real time data? 
a lot of it is becoming more real time every day. Like, you know, if you think back, what would be an example of real time application, real time data? Like, I think one of my favorites would be stock trading. Like, you know, that's a very real time thing. You're measuring down to milliseconds for trades. Uh, but the type of real-time applications that exist today, I mean, you see them springing up everywhere. Like take, take for example, a ride share. You know, when you take your phone out and you order a car, most people are looking at that phone to just track the driver to see exactly, or a food delivery service, like you can literally track the car all the way to you. That type of requirement, that type of app didn't really exist 10 years ago. So. You know, if you think of every application that you have on your phone where there's some type of real-time activity happening, that just gives you an idea of how common it is becoming. You know, so in some sense, I would say in the past, real-time, well, maybe a few applications. But today, you know, it's really becoming, uh, quickly becoming a part of a norm. You know, I think that customer experience is a very important part of digital transformation. And as you're talking, I'm thinking that as consumers, we have come to expect this type of real-time interaction, which of course has major implications for the type of applications we're building and the infrastructure and the data itself. Oh yeah. I mean, Think about how many services sit behind some of these massive consumer applications. You and I might know it as an email service, or if you've ever used Zoom, you know, for video conferencing, it's just a video service. But think of the pandemic happens. Like before the pandemic, had you said to me, every student in the world tomorrow could be video conferencing for education or the entire workforce is now going to be remote worldwide you know imagine an event like that nobody's thinking something like that could ever happen it happens and of course we as humans figure out how to navigate through it but in reality what you have going on is literally full-blown scale going out there you know just massive scale and you look at a customer like Zoom, think of how much complexity is behind that system. And now students just need it to work so they can interact with a teacher. Uh, if you and I were having a work meeting, we need the audio and the visual to just work. We don't really care what's behind the scenes, but now somebody like Zoom, you know, they need to have the right set of tools so that they can observe that entire environment. And if, I mean, you can think of so many parts in that environment, no human being could process it all in their mind. That's why tools are so important today. But those tools help you observe it all, pinpoint those problems. They'll tell you what's happening, why it's happening, you know, how to remediate it. You know, so these systems are bigger and more complex than ever before. Thus, the tooling that is available today now is pretty darn important. Very different from traditional data and analytics, say, for reporting on historical data or historical events that simply don't have a real-time component. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think of, geez, when I first started, you know, a lot of the, I think reporting was like a big deal, you know, and reporting with visualizations was a big deal. And putting a piece of paper on a table with a pie chart or line charts and when it was in color, like that was a big thing. And 
today, you you look at a productivity worker today, they, they're looking at multiple dimensions of data on the fly, touching screens in full context, you know, moving through entire business workflows, you know, by the touch of the finger. So yeah, the world has changed quite a bit. Sean, several times you've mentioned speed, meaning performance and scalability. A lot of that relies on infrastructure. So how important is infrastructure in general and and also to you at Splunk? Yeah, I mean, infrastructure or you think of a data platform, one of the most important things today is that customers really do have a strong data foundation. And, you know, sometimes people say, hey, what does that actually mean to have a strong data foundation? And the way I, to put it in plain English, the way I would say it is if you're trying to create a new customer experience and you constantly hear no, like, hey, we need to, recommend something or we need to uh, track boxes or our shipment, you know, every second down the assembly line, uh, whatever it is that you might be doing when, when people come back and go, no, we can't do it or we can't get that data or it's not possible, that's probably a good sign of not having a strong data foundation. But on the flip side, customers that have a strong data foundation, they say yes a lot. Like they come up with new ideas that they weren't even thinking about, you know, that morning. And when they go and say, hey, could we make a recommendation here? Or if we wanted to build a new video streaming experience, they often find a way, oh, yeah, that's another fully managed API that's part of our architecture. So, you know, in that context, uh, these foundations are critical. Like the customers that I've seen really thrive through the pandemic, they've had a strong data foundation. The folks that I've seen struggle, they don't. You know, they, they often are constantly bumping into no. But at the end of the day, with that strong data foundation, you really can turn data into doing. That's how we like to talk about it at Splunk. But at the same time, a lot of, lot of customers fundamentally need to understand. They need to observe that whole infrastructure. They need to make sure it's secure. You know, so at the end of the day, th- their whole systems are up, constantly up and running. So what is a data foundation? For example, you have a data foundation that you use at Splunk. Can you drill into that a little bit for us? Yeah. When people talk about a a data foundation from a customer's point of view, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of customers today are trying to reinvent themselves or create new customer experiences. Signs of not having a strong foundation is when you're constantly told no. And any idea you have, any experience you're trying to build, it's constantly like, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. Customers that find a way where they say yes a lot, like, you know, here's a new experience. We've never done it before. We want to we want to go build this. Um, and uh, their architecture or the found their data foundation allows that to happen. That That's a really good sign. You know, but from a Splunk perspective, Splunk is all about helping customers turn data into doing. The last thing you want is data sitting around and you can't do anything with it. It's all about getting the maximum value out of your data. So that's one aspect from Splunk. You know, the other is just the basic fundamentals of making sure you can op your you know you can operate your environment and keep it secure. 
All right. So we have our business goals. We have our data foundation. What kind of team needs to be in place in order to do all of this effectively? Yeah, you know, this is a uh, this is a great question and I usually answer this one pretty privately in a meeting. And what I would say is as a lot of people are trying to modernize their technology, you also need to think about how you're going to modernize your workforce. There's one thing to always think about here is remember in data, there was kind of one way of doing things from almost 1970 all the way to 2000. So for that many years, people just kind of got used to doing data like one way. Um, and you don't want to let familiarity, you know, stifle innovation or become a blind spot. So I always encourage folks, really, really do not let yourself fall into that trap where it's like, oh, that's how we've always done it. And that's the way it's going to be. Like, I see this happen because a lot of folks have had uh, people on their DBA teams or in their IT departments. They've been there for 10, 15, 20 years. And sometimes those people have so much institutional knowledge, it can be great. But if somebody like that doesn't really want to embrace some of this new technology, you really could find yourself stuck in the past. That's what I mean by don't let familiarity become a blind spot that stifles innovation. So you really, really, truly want to be very intentional on how you modernize your workforce, because when you do, you find these change agents that they'll, they're, they're the ones that will go figure out a new graph database or a time series database, or they'll explore ledger um, and then they'll compose it into your data architecture. So when your businesses start coming up with new applications, those are the folks that are often saying, yes, that's why you absolutely want to modernize your workforce. I've also seen business leaders, very experienced business leaders who say, yeah, you know, I, that data you're giving me, I know it's not right because my intuition about this is always spot on. So how can a, how can a data team member deal with that kind of historicalist approach? Yeah, you know, I'll use a Formula One example. Uh, so I, uh, so Zach Brown is the CEO of the McLaren Formula One team. Uh, and we were having dinner together just a few weeks ago. He's shared this story publicly, so I can do it here. Uh, but one of the drivers on the McLaren F1 team, uh, his name is Lando Norris. He was racing in the Russian Grand Prix. He has not finished in first place on a race yet. Uh, and he was leading every single lap of this Russian Grand Prix. There's about five laps to go in this race and rain starts to move in. The rain clouds are coming in. And the data strongly suggested that McLaren should have pulled into the pits, changed the tires to wet tires, uh, or tires that can handle uh, wet roads, and they would have had a very good chance of winning this race. But they did not follow data. They actually followed that gut emotional We've made it this far, we can finish. And then it started raining. And next thing you know, this car couldn't even stay on the track. Uh, and then the Mercedes team was right behind Lando. They followed data, pit, changed tires, and they won the race, no problem. So what Zach would tell you uh, is they should have followed data. 
And in this case, they he believes they would have won the race. And that doesn't mean your gut uh, can't be right. Like oftentimes, you know, your gut can be right. But boy, oh boy, was that a lesson learned for them on just trusting that data uh, and following it. I think it takes time to develop a kind of data culture where confidence in the data is pervasive and we feel more comfortable submitting to the data rather than trying to fight the data. Yeah, and I think a lot of this comes from that old world of spreadsheets. So, you know, you remember the day where you would get a customer list and it would be attached to an email uh, and then you'd mail it off to another person. And before you know it, this email with this spreadsheet is, is that the source of truth and what I should be making decisions on? So, you know, where I'm going with this is governance. And today there are so many different data systems and where I've seen companies struggle or they don't have a lot of confidence. When you really sit down and look at the details, what you'll find is they actually don't have good governance. Like they can't classify data. They can't see a topology of it. They don't understand how it moves around. They, they couldn't really tell you who has access to what. And in that particular case, then yeah, those people don't trust data. Like things go really slow. But if you have really good governance, then that is when you know, like, hey, I can see exactly who has access to what data. Uh, I, I can see its topology. I know where it is, how it moves around. Um, and when you have good governance, then then you can have a ton of confidence, which is going to give you that trust uh, to make decisions. Well, who's responsible for building that kind of program of data governance? Yeah, well, in larger organizations, oftentimes uh, I've seen governance teams in a smaller organization. It could be in, in who, whatever group is covering technology. Uh, but it's almost always a combination of somebody who's in your core architecture with good oversight from a security team and whatnot, because there's so, think of all the ransomware stuff that is happening now, and boy, oh boy, it's maybe more important than ever to be able to secure and protect your data. But most commonly, to, you know, to answer your question directly, it's almost always a combination of a core infrastructure team uh, partnered with a security group. And then what happens in machine learning and AI environments where if you don't have a handle on your data and your models, you can find creeping bias and other issues that come in that you may not even be aware of until some problem happens down the road? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you think of machine learning in the context of governance in your whole data environment, well, you could take an easy one and you could start to think about the quality of your data um, and using machine learning to just follow patterns for your data. And then you could understand like, oh, imagine if a customer had changed, imagine somebody got married, their last name changed, and then is that two different customer IDs or is it one? Um, and you know how would you track that? And when you can use machine learning, machine learning will oftentimes be able to follow patterns like that for you and identify it and point it out to you. Uh, it's like finding that needle in the haystack or take for example, anomaly detection. You know, Imagine where in your environment, all of a sudden a particular uh, set of data is now being accessed 
fully in a way that it's never been accessed before. With something like machine learning, you could on the fly detect an anomaly like that and do something about it. So, you know, we're in the early stages as an industry of machine learning, but I would tell you, I think this is actually going to be one of the most important things that people really truly understand and embrace uh, because it's really going to be that assistant, if you will, that is helping you reason through you know, millions and millions and millions of files of data. And certainly when it comes to machine learning, explainability is more and more and more important. You know, I remember reading once that the human brain can actually process 60 bits of information a second. And when you think of a, a cloud environment or an enterprise, you're talking of billions of events a second potentially happen at any given point in time. No, no human being is going to be able to process that ever, you know, but having something like tools with machine learning, detecting, you know, processing billions of events and finding that anomaly and then presenting it to you in a way where you can very quickly understand what is going on and why. Things like that are now going to be more important than ever. Sean, with your customers at Splunk, do you make a distinction between investments in data that support innovation versus investments in data that support improved efficiency? Yeah, you know, we try not to think of data like that in a sense, you know, where we always go to data, like data is... You could, there's two things you can never, ever do with data. You can never lose it and you can never give back the wrong answer. Like one of those two things happen, that's just not good. That is the ultimate trust buster. You know, so as long as you practice very, very good rigor and diligence around your data, like that is a non-negotiable needs to happen every single day. Then you get to think about the innovations you want to do and improvements to the system um, and so on and so forth. You know, but when at Splunk, when we think about um, innovations, it really once again goes back to our customers. What are we trying to build for them? Um, sometimes it, it results in us building new capabilities. Sometimes it, it's uh, extending something that was there. Um, and at the same time, we're always doing uh, maintenance on our on our code and our data to make sure that we're hardening those systems uh, each and every day. Sean, what advice do you have for using data to drive digital transformation? Well, uh, you know, the advice that I would share with people, um, you know, take advantage, take full advantage of the cloud take full advantage of fully managed APIs. Like don't settle for the way it was. Um, you don't really want to do that undifferentiated heavy lifting. Take, take advantage of that. And don't be afraid of exploring different. Just remember there are all, all of these new purpose-built systems are there for a reason. You know, really what a developer will say is I love this because I don't have to trade off functionality, performance, and scale. And they're able to build these applications faster than ever before. The third thing that I would say is do not pick technology first and then figure out the use case. You know, today I would always start with what is the use case? What are you trying to do? Because if you start with the tech first, you know, whatever the limitations of that tech is could constrain your, your um, application ideas. And then you're kind of creating headwind for yourself. 
you know, so when you really explore and take full advantage and embrace new and you have these new systems, the next thing you know, you're able to build uh, applications that you weren't uh, able to in the past. The other point I would make is, especially if you've been around, uh, you're an enterprise that's been around for a long time, do not let familiarity become a blind spot that stifles innovation. Like, you know, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be in your face. But, you know, the, the customers and companies that I've seen push through it, they've modernized their workforces. Boy, oh boy, are they moving fast and doing things that they never thought they could do. So those are some of the points that I would share or advice that I would provide uh, to anybody uh, who's going into the cloud with data. Great advice. Sean, as we finish up, I have to ask you, where is all this going? Yeah, you know, I think where all of this is going is a work environment that maybe is moving faster than ever before. Like maybe the norm back uh, 10 years ago is things would take mm, a year or six months. I think those projects that used to most often take a year, those might take a month in the new world. I, you know, I, I think where it's going is businesses are going to be able to move faster than they've ever been, you know, than they've ever moved before, which means they're going to be able to respond to their customer base in almost real time. I think it also is going to mean customers are going to be able to build new experiences, iterate on those things like the day of putting something new out and then updating it a year later, I think those days are over. You know, you're going to put something out, you're going to learn, you're going to iterate, you're going to learn, you're going to iterate. All those things, I think, will become common practice for all. And if that all truly, you know, comes together, then at the end of the day, all of these customers will literally have turned their data into doing and thus we come complete circle with data being this support enabler and driver of digital transformation. Absolutely, it really truly is. And then when you have that digital transformation, you know, I see people so excited because it's always starting with, gosh, we, could, we never could do this in the past and look what we're doing today. And it's, there's nothing better than seeing somebody use technology in a way that it is having a profound impact on the business. It's just, it's a real delight to see. It sure is. Sean Bice, President of Products and Technology at Splunk. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As a reminder, you can watch all podcast episodes on redis.com slash the data economy. Check out redis.com slash business for related executive content.